Good morning, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm your host, Mona, and my co-host, usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? New director, but still the same movie. Yeah, you know, Freddy first came in charge at Norwich. Uh, I was, I mean, I'm sure many of the Arsenal fans already, you know, kind of excited under, you know, this, this interim uh, uh, change now with Arsenal. But, I mean... It's not like you had a, a case of Groundhog Day again because nothing really changed when you, when you look at the, the dynamic of the squad. You, you made a couple of tweaks, but I mean nothing that really impressed. And I mean, look at whether whether at the rate the game was going, Norwich was like all over us uh, like in the early part of the game. Arsenal seemingly not being able to even get out of the half. And I mean, look at the breakthrough then comes in on the twenty-first minute when Arsenal in the Norwich half. With Willock, I don't know what he was doing, dawdling on the ball, loses position, and the, like, I think with the first thorough uh, counter from Norwich, they slice through our team with ease. And I mean, then, what was it? Puki fires him. Uh, yeah. Puki, of uh, Mustafi deflection, and uh, like if you roll back to the goal, it, like it starts with Willock getting dispossessed and bunch of players backing off. I'm not saying dive into a tackle or go 120 miles per hour into a tackle, but there's no one jockeying close by to, you know, track the guy's run. And they just went straight. Pookie just uh, kind of had the freedom of of the, of Caro Road when he took his shot because no one's closing down. And we back off, we back off, we back off. Then when we make a challenge, we do it probably too close to our own box. So that was... And uh, you saw um, Mustafi and David Louise. It's almost like the both of them, instead of one going and one staying, yeah. they had like a miscommunication and they both backed off. And like I said, all he had to do was shoot, and like Leno could not do much about it. He's actually been our savior yeah. this season and even this this game. Like there's few saves where he got us through. And I mean, it's becoming like tedious when you watch. Also, you know, our, our midfielders, uh, those that are supposed to now that come into sort of, and I'm putting this in in air quotes, protect the defense. They are almost like constantly, or 80, 90% of the time, they're in the opposition off. Even when we, you know, when, when we being hit on the counter, they, because as much as I like Wendosi, he's not really doing anything to, to track back or do anything. And then you get Xhaka, as I said, I, I call him like almost like a water carrier because every time you can forget, like once that guy is, is in free flow past him, there's no way he's going to catch him. But I mean, that aside, almost like, it seems almost like a, a, a against a run of play. Arsenal then win a penalty. And Tim Krul then saves, but I mean, uh, VAR then picked up that some uh, new Norwich players were now, you know, in the penalty box when the penalty kick, t- t- spot kick was taken. And then Alba then with a retake, you know, buries the ball next time around. But I mean, 1-1, one, one, but still, you know, very wobbly ground. And at that point, you think the momentum will swing. You know, so, uh, we've seen many times in Arsenal games where, when we play, we concede the momentum swings from us having full advantage. But then you look back to this game, Arsenal score one-one. You think, okay, you know, new new era starts starts strong, and we go, we we push for the second. But it's almost like once Arsenal get that equalizers, they go into relax mode, and then the game turns into a basketball game again. I mean, I, I my thinking was, you know, going one-one, and you know, we can somehow, you know, recoup, rethink of how we go about with a plan. But I mean, as we edge on half time, 
as like, usual. Again, we lose the ball. I up again, Willock. I mean, he also had a shocker of a game. I mean, I'm all for, you know, you can support a young guy and, and, and things like that. But, I mean, you must also call out if, if they're doing, you know, bad. And, I mean, the sort of position where he loses the ball. And it doesn't like he, he does something. You know, I think you mentioned what Oxford Chamberlain used to do when he loses the ball. Instead of chasing, he would, like, do that where he, he stops and he shakes his head. almost like, you know, what did I just do? But in that time that he's doing that, the team is already, you know, three quarters of the way down the pitch. And there's no way he's going to now, you know, catch up. If you watch it, Cole, you mentioned, you see him just jogging back. He doesn't sprint back to try yeah. to get the ball back. And that's the problem. I mean, you as a youngster, I don't know if it's been installed in them at the moment, that if you're in a youngster, in a, I mean, in a team of players and you lose the ball, you want to fight to win it back to show them, like, you know, I want to put that sp- fighting spirit. But we don't have that. We don't have that guy currently in the team, which will lead to the point of this goal, in, in, in the team that... Is like a true sentiment that actually, you know, plump um, pumps hot the blood like a heartbeat yeah. in the middle of the team, pumping blood everywhere because we don't have the guys gonna roll up his sleeves like Patrick Vieira did to go attack, go left to tackle, go right to tackle, sit at the back to tackle. We don't have that guy at the moment. At the moment, everybody just wants to, you know, be a, the attacking force or they they don't have that type of tenacity and we're missing that and that led to that goal. Willock, like you said, loses the ball. And off, um, off Nottage went, and he's jogging back. And once again, Arsenal back off, and we back off. And there's no one tracking the runner. They 45 it to Cantwell, who had, like I said, the easy shot at goal. Yeah, I mean, you could still, had, you could still line up, look at, you know, pick his spot out. And then, I mean, he ended up, you know, just smashing the ball past Leno, two, Until- one Nottage. And he still did a dance afterwards, which I hated every moment of watching him do a dance. I always see people doing humiliating dances as an Arsenal fan when they score past us. So, you know, we go into the second half and Arsenal, of course, you know, still kind of reeling from that. But then, again, this is now, I don't know if this is another Freddie Lindbergh year. <laughs> you know, with, with Norwich, domination came. You know, a total get against the run of play. We get the set piece. Mustafa, I mean, look, Mustafa did a good job, you know, having a pop at goal. Keeper manages to make a partial save, but Obama Young there to, you know, pick up the scraps and bury these chance to make a 2 2. Once again, uh, we score and suddenly Norwich gets the strength and they came at us. You know, I think at 2 2, I thought maybe, maybe we can come and get it, but. They came at us. I mean, Leno was definitely our saving grace. There was time, I think it was a Chaka that got caught on the ball. Yeah. And then Leno had to come and make the save. And then Cantwell also also scored again. Same thing from the edge of the box once again. And then one I think, where Leno actually also got the save and then hit the pole afterwards. But I mean, this, you know, when you, when you watch this sort of play by Arsenal, it's like, it's like they don't care. At the moment, like you don't see what you know said that you know with some showing some sort of art in the team that they can you know put up a fight or show some res- resilience at least because you know we went in into like that, that 10, 10 minute spell we it, it did look a bit positive but it wasn't like you mentally you're almost like preparing yourself for a Norwich third a Norwich fourth and like that because you're not really thinking can we still even pull this one out of the bag because. 
I'm like, after that 10 minute spell, then we were again sitting on the back foot from that point right through until the end of the game. The problem is we get turned over way too quickly. We lose possession and it's almost like a rugby or a basketball game where we lose momentum completely. And like you said, the whole team is attacking. We lose the ball and suddenly we have a three-on-three three or four-on-three situation just with one straight ball and Arsenal's on the back foot. There's no structure or discipline at the moment. And I think that's coming to still the identity of the team. If you look at Liverpool, they have Jordan Henderson. He might not be a flashy player or you're going to be in anybody's world eleven. But he rolls up his sleeves and gets dirty. So with Fabinho, Arsenal don't have that guy that will roll up his sleeves. It's all too glamorous. And it comes down to, are these guys working hard at training? I mean, you've seen Arsenal and, you know, something I'll bring up a bit later on. But under Arsene Wenger, even that reeling rate, we were still reeling from, you know, coming down to earth from the Wenger era. That when you're successful, but we were very a fit team. Remember Jamie Carragher at one stage still said he felt like he was playing against 12 guys when they were playing against Arsenal. We weren't winning trophies at that stage, but we were still rattling teams until the last minute. But yeah, we don't look like we're pushing teams anymore. It's too comfortable. So we switch our attention now to the Brighton game on the midweek, the Thursday game uh, in the Premier League. Our home debut for Freddie. You know, of course... Expectation was high because I mean you could also sense leading up to, you know, before kickoff, you know the crowd were in full swing, singing and chanting and that, and you know I even myself I mean look at that, that Norwich thing was almost like a, a you know a punch in the gut but okay you know we pick ourselves up and we focus on this game, but then you know it takes about two minutes for that all that positivity just to you know. Blow out like a you know like a deflated balloon because David Luiz and Leno then end up <laughs> off each other and then Connolly um yeah Connolly almost intercepts with Leno and of course quick to stuff out the danger but I mean they look how early that warning signs were I know it was quite scary but we did kind of recover that I uh, I actually thought as a if it was a boxing match the first ten. 10 to 15 minutes, we slightly shaded on points, you know, with a few jabs here and there. But like you mentioned, uh, home debut that you shade on points, it's not, not very good. You're supposed to give a total knockout. But it's almost like that slowly gave Brighton the impetus to say, hang on, we, we're not getting challenged now, yeah? Let us take the game to Arsenal. And I mean, like, uh, um, you know, Arsenal, with Arsenal's foothold in the game, it also came with uh, a little cutting edge, not really, you know, making big, big threats on the on the, the Brighton goal. And then, like, Brighton again, with a simple <coughs> route one ball, takes out the whole Arsenal defence. Hector Bellerin is, of course, caught on the back foot. He ends up hauling down Connolly, who's, I mean, he's been really a linchpin for, for Brighton this season. And, I mean, I think if... if uh, David Luiz was not covering there. I think Bellerin could have even gotten a red card because that guy, the way he pulled him around the throat to, to like, you know, to put him to ground, he was running goalwards already. With, I mean, and I think he would have probably gotten that ball under control as well. So, you know, early warning signs and a yellow card for card for Bellerin, which got the free kick eventually got you know blown over the bar. But I mean, Brighton then from the twenty fifth minute, total domination. And I mean, Arsenal were just literally chasing shadows on the on the evening game, because they ended up, you know, starting to pepper the Arsenal goal with shots from proper, and I think Mopai also had a 30-yard shot, really, you know, to pull off a save. 
then, then um, it was actually our saving grace once again. Yeah, and then the breakthrough for, for Brighton on the 36th minute. Arsenal in total disarray from the corner. Uh, they left, uh, they, I mean, gosh, that guy is like a giant that uh, burns. He outjumps all Arsenal uh, defence and markers, whatever zonal marking we're doing. Knocks the ball down, and I mean, Connolly, the ball comes to him, he ends up scuffing his shot. Arsenal players are just standing and watching <laughs> and, and kicking air and that. And then, of course, the ball bubbles out to the centre-back webster of all people, and he just smashes a, a hard drive past Leno, 1-0 Brighton. The, the good finish, though, eh, to, to you know, power he put in by sliding and kicking the ball like that. Yeah. So, like you said, this today, once again, same Arsenal, same Arsenal, can't defend corners. It's like, why do we stick to the zonal marking when it's let us down so many years? Man-to-man, let people take responsibility. I'm still yet to see the the kind of benefits of having zonal marking. You know, Tony Adams was like the pundit for us, like when I was watching the game. And he was saying, if you're struggling to get a team defensively set and you keep on shipping like two goals a game or you, you keep on like in general shipping goals, he said, then why don't, I mean, as, as negative as it is, stick 10 men behind the ball just to somehow get some sort of sense. Because look, at the moment, as you said, with her, that, that uh, no identity, that is what Arsenal are at the moment. And I think uh, we're in a stage now where we have to almost like have to play it, you know, rather safe to see, you know, stick 10 behind the ball. Just see how to frustrate the opponent and then you hit it. Because look, there's over enough speed in the team that goes yes. around. Then you can take it from there. But Tony Adams said what he sees. And he said also, if you're constantly losing goals like this, look, this is not the first time this thing has happened the way it played out also. Because... Just off the top of my head, that Sheffield United game, it also took a header across goal to a guy who was standing in the middle without being marked or anything. So Tony Adams said, you know, then you throw away that whole plan of zonal marking while this interim thing is going on, and you bring in, like, a, you, you do a, a man-to-man job so that everybody knows what job they are doing. Because right now, if you have a disarray defense and you're going zonal marking, it's almost like a shit show. Honest, I mean, like to put it as plain as it will become a shit show. Because nobody is not taking responsibility for that. And I mean, we, we already see who are responsible for all these sort of uh, errors happening. Because it's, it's like an error-strewn error defense going on at the moment at the club. It's an it's a error-strewn, yeah. It's, it's just like you said, it's one big shit show. And I think if Arsenal had to have a decent one or two even decent defensive midfielders or guys that can hold the fort in front of the back line, then we could kind of get away slightly with the back line we have. I'm not saying they're going to win you titles, but you can win games. But right now, there's no one even protecting the defense. So it's like you have a weak defense and a brittle midfield who aren't protecting the defense. It's only going to lead to, to, one, to one thing. And it's happening now to us. The, like the, some of the fan base, that all time up on about... Ozil must play, Ozil must play. He plays, and then you see when, when you need a, a guy to roll up his sleeves and fight, and you just see him jogging along on the pitch while the rest of the team are getting steamrolled. Uh, it's, 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 it's not good at all what's happening. I mean, are the guys not training properly that they seem jaded all the time? They, they're, not, they're not giving intensity. Oh, what are they they're proving? Sorry to interrupt you, but they take the piss in training. That's all I can say, because you watch any of these training videos, there is loads of giggling and, and, and like, almost like schoolgirl laughing. There's, you know, uh, you see these little clicks now in the team. 
and they're busy having their own conversation when they should have been training. And then, for me, like what I find shocking, you know, like, uh, for, uh, Arsenal fan from oh, like for over twenty five years, when you see players that are sitting in tenth position in the league and they're giggling and laughing about you know all those little things, because then you, you expect a more you know a more focused mindset when you're going to go into training. I'm telling you now, it could get more uglier than tent if these guys don't roll up their sleeves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when we get touch on this game, like the games that we have upcoming, it's after this game we will touch on it. But um, it's not, it's not pretty. We could be sitting. I mean, Brighton were were a few points behind us. Suddenly they they leapfrogged us. I think, or they're quite close to us. They one either one point behind us, or they've leapfrogged us because they were they were they were one point of relegation, Brighton. And then suddenly they, they win, and now they one point, I think, behind us, actually. And then half-time came, Pepe then came on for, you know, Willock. Uh, you know, 50th minute then, game on for Arsenal. Like I said, loops a header over the keeper. You know, luckily just drops behind everybody. Yeah. It was quite, I mean, it was quite a strange goal as well. Arsenal now, of course, Saunders like, didn't take some sort of control in the game because the fullbacks had got a bit more freedom. Because I think that also kind of knocked Brighton back on the heels. And I mean, the the pundits also said at halftime, something like that could happen where if you get a goal, they could be almost like kind of shell-shocked and, and, you know, taking it all in. And then, like, Kolasinac and, and um, Bellerin, they were, you know, just pinging balls across. But, of course, even though we have, we were playing with some sort of forward line, they were always never there or there or thereabout when the ball is breaking. Because every time, I mean, there was one way Aubameyang just missed like about boot length from it. Yeah. And then, of course, the other times when they were pinging balls in, our like our forwards were more dangling outside of the box. And you're thinking, where are the guys making those darting runs forward or the attacking goal threat runs? You just don't see that. The problem is there's no link. There's no link in the team. It's it's your keeper. There's no real link between the keeper defense. Your midfield is no link between midfield. It's like everybody has to shift back. So now you have the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette having to kind of work. They're not getting service. Like if they were in an Arsenal team of four or five years ago, they would have gotten all the service now. But it's like Arsenal again, excellent strike force, now lacking a midfield again. And obviously defense is always brittle, but we're lacking a midfield. Something that we thrived upon for years was our midfield. We never really had a top-class attack after maybe Van Persie left. Now it's like you go back, you roll back the years, our midfield is struggling, but we have the forward line. It's like Arsenal's getting the right players at the wrong time always. So in 62nd minute, then Leno then, you know, cuts out a, a, a proper cross. The player proper, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no and, uh, Yeah. And then Maupai, I think you could see he was already lining up for a tap-in, but I mean, the fantastic goalkeeping again, because I think at the moment, the way that Leno was reading the game, I think he's, you know, also the, the one man that's holding us from, you know, really reigning in goals against us at the moment. We could be in a relegation battle if, like, honestly, without Leno's saves, we could be in a relegation battle. Yeah. Then in the 65th minute, VAR then rolled out the David Luiz goal, but I mean, rightly so, because I think there were about three Arsenal players offside. <laughs> Still something that they... Another thing that you find, or I find a flaw of the team where, you know, you've got enough speed and, and, and you know, also strength. And you don't need to do that where you're always getting caught, because I mean, there were a lot of cheap... There were cheap offsides also given away by us. 
Um, you know, Pepe was kind of showing some sort of fight, but again, when you have him now again on form, you had Obama again having been kind of off form because he gets played in by um, Pepe with a fantastic, I mean, it was a, almost like a, a dissecting the whole defense of Brighton. Fantastic ball. He didn't, kind of overruns the ball. And then, of course, he does not now know once he passes the keeper how to adjust his body to. And then by, by the time he's not still trying to figure that out, he's already closed by two uh, Brighton defenders. And I mean, just also a side note, those Brighton defenders, look, they were not playing with their first choice, which is normally Duffy with Dunk. But I mean, those Webster playing alongside uh, Dunk. And I mean, th- when I look at that defense, I actually envy Brighton for that because... These two guys, or even the three, if you add now Webster in as well, they are as you know hardcore old school defenders that you are like, or what we are actually crying out for, because you look at their build; they're already like I think six foot four, six foot five, and they, they are muscular and they do not. I mean, they sniff out anything. And I mean, if you're gonna try to even attack the like an aerial ball, the two of them will just literally sandwich you, whichever two of the combos mm-hmm. are playing. They will sandwich you, or they'll smash you out of that box. And that, I, I think you can build from that, yeah. like at Arsenal. If if you could get, like you said, a dunk and uh, what's the other guy, the other centre back, not Webster, Duffy. Duffy, Duffy. If you can get him, I mean, you have Leno at the back. I mean, that's a starting point to build from. Yeah, but I mean, look, we're gonna get now with that, you know, talking points, and I'm yeah. gonna bring up all those things. Um, then second, seventy second minute. Kolasinac comes off, because, I mean, he, I think he was hobbling already with that ankle, some sort of ankle injury. Tierney then comes on. But, I mean, by now, when you think, or you know, the mindset of, you know, more positive Arsenal, we look more laboured, we look actually more tired, even though we were kind of freshening things up. And you could see Brighton were now sensing, look, we can get something here. And, I mean, then I think, what was it, 80th minute, my pie peels off, you know, really, really bad David Luiz marking. And then glances in the head, head of that. I first thought it's going wide, but I mean, when I just saw the net bulge, I thought, oh my God, one of those matches again. Yeah, 2 1, like to Brighton, and you're thinking, seriously, is this another another defeat or another game without three points? And you, you, you see, every time you think it's, it's, it can't be, it surely we will get the three points this, this week, we will, this game we will. And it just seems like this, this trend is continuing. and I wonder when it's going to come to a halt. I mean, we didn't show any fight afterwards yeah. to rattle Brighton. Yeah, there's a bad rot we are going through now because, look, even in the 90th or 92nd minute when we're supposed to now be chasing this game, Brighton then almost have a chance to make it 3-1 because we end up losing the ball in, in, in their half. The counter is so quick by, by Brighton. And I don't even know how many of our players managed to get <laughs> back because I think only because Leno closed that, uh, what was it, to side or something like that. We ended up taking the ball wider and wider, and then I think he ended up just scuffing the shot wide. And I mean, it, it could have been three, uh, yeah, uh, even a three-one defeat for us. But Arsenal winless streak now down to up to nine games, worst streak since March 1977. Wow, that uh, your one is old at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's really sad to see that you know our best play at the moment is Leno, and you just can't see where or how this rot is going to end because it's, it's almost like it's continuing to go worse and worse and worse. And you're starting to like, look at the season and think, you'll bring on next season again. Like There's nothing to look forward to this season. I mean, are we even going to compete in a Europa League spot? You don't know. So, 
now attention again goes over to the Monday night football game, playing West Ham at the London Stadium. And look, West Ham 15th, one win in five games against Arsenal 10th, zero wins in five. Uh, West Ham is going to probably a similar patch through us, you know, they... They've been they of that one win they're so inconsistent of that one win it was against Chelsea but they've been beaten like you know left right and center so <laughs> this could be our uh, this is it could be our moment here we go again with our yes <laughs> then I see it all afterwards you know how much times I've seen it all with Arsenal at this season like every time like the 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 worst that for me that I thought of teams placed I think. 18, 19, and 20. And then Southampton got out of 18th spot. But we've conceded two goals against each of them. Watford, Southampton, and Norwich. All games in the bottom. And we've conceded two goals against them. Southampton win like two on the bounce already. Yes. They've, <laughs> since they threw to us, their forms picked up. We we brought them back to life. Just like we did last season. Um. Yeah, so look. West Ham danger, man. I mean, there's now... You know, a lot of mornings are set now already. Felipe Anderson, if you're not going to pin this guy down, he is going to destroy us because he is the sort of midfielder that we wish Ozil was because, you know, he's he can ride a tackle. He can also get involved when, when they're on the back foot. But, I mean, he's somebody, he can, you know, he can dazzle you from the left, right, or down the middle. And then, of course, the odd man in, in midfield, uh, Robert Snodgrass, who's almost like, you know, Mr. Dependable in midfield. I mean, of course, look, they've had now this bad run of results, but if you go toe-to-toe now with us, I mean, the yeah. at the moment, you will have a field day against our midfield. Declan Rice as well, for me, is one of the standout players as well. I think he will bully our midfielders. And the scary part is, it's coming to a scrap now. Like, this game is not the Arsenal going there for a top-four credential place or for a title race game. This game, if West Ham beat Arsenal, suddenly Arsenal slips further, and we're gonna probably start the the, the game kickoff against West Ham in a much lower league position yeah. because we're playing a a last, I mean a, the last game of the weekend. And just to put it in perspective, Newcastle are on 19 points, same as us. Burnley 18 points, Brighton 18, Bournemouth 16, West Ham 16. So they 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 are if we lose. We could see that we end up in what, 16th or 15th place already before we kick a ball. And if West Ham beat us, suddenly you're looking behind your shoulder and you, you could be in a relegation position where we were laughing about Man United mm. not too long ago. And look at us. So we draw a line on that. We now switch our attention now to the talking points that we now you know accumulated now together. And I mean, I want to start off with, you know, under new management, I was expecting. Look, we've since we've been watching football so long. You've always seen when when a team when a team gets the coach like kind of sacked, and then you when the new guy comes in, you actually see almost like a rejuvenation of the squad as a whole, and you see that you know like a a more you know like a lion-hearted performance when they start off, and I mean it was like builds from that or kicks on from that, but. With Emery now gone, there's now also no excuses, but you you watch them now, and it's like they, they still don't have this fire in the belly that we're after. And, you know, the, the, the performances now are even, I, I would uh, I dare to say, even more mediocre. Because 
they, they become toothless, constantly toothless when you're, watch, when you're watching the game. No cutting edge. And I mean, when we do score, it's some of the goals just to save our backsides. And I think that's also why our players seem so, not to make excuses, knackered come the end of the game because they're chasing the game yeah. 90% of the time. We win last time, we almost taken, maybe you can correct me, but we haven't taken the lead in a game in a long time, actually, in our past three games. We're always just fighting to get back level. And when we get back level, we have our legs run out. And when our legs run out, the other team comes back at us. I mean, where have you seen a Brighton sniff blood against Arsenal or a Norwich sniff blood against Arsenal because Arsenal are too knackered near the end of the game? It's unheard of. And like you said now, it's like this, this, this slope is getting steeper and steeper and it's getting more slippery and we're just going further down it. And I mean, look... Uh... For all our listeners, you know, this problem is deep, folks, because we've not, as, what, what it does go to show also this whole rut we're in now, it's also the uh, the failure in recruitment as Arsenal as a club, because if you think, I'm just not going to give like a small example, you've got David Luiz, who was not in, in Frank Lampard's plans, you have Mustafi that uh, Valencia were willing to even give away, then you have Socrates, where Dortmund were already planning for life without him, but we still came in with that, what was it, 17 million bid or 15 million bid, I'm not sure. So, this is now my, my point that I'm going to put across. How can players who are surplus to requirements at those clubs who are, you know, big in, like in, in their own right, and then they, these three guys come to our squad and are not taken in as first teamers? How can that be? So, it's not like we're taking other people's rejects now and trying to build a team around these guys who, as Gary Neville said, are uncoachable. Yeah, you, you can't take that bad habits out of them. And if you look at the, the likes of David Luiz and Socrates, Socrates had Hummels next to him for a large portion of his career at Dortmund. And the kind of, you know, you didn't really see his weakness to that extent. And David Luiz had Gary Cahill. I mean, I think we should have gone for Gary Cahill instead of... I know he's also aging, but sort of David Luis because Kale is more disciplined and he can, you know, maybe talk to the guys. He has a level head, but David Luis just seems at the moment that, like you said, uncoachable. He just does his own thing uh-huh. and he just loses his head. Like if you just pull pull a person down the box, going for a tackle when we're not when it's not needed. And I mean, you you look at at the sort of lack of discipline get that runs through the whole team. You've got like when Dozy trying to shove people off the ball with two hands in front of the ref. Like in game, you've got Jaka when when uh, people uh, sidestep him, and he's already starting to pull them back and stuff like that. And you got Socrates that that you know, under no real threat, people are running away from goal. Then he just runs them over. So how, I mean, how can you actually build a squad with people that that, that come with at times just complete brainless, you know, ideas of of defending? My my biggest concern is how Arsenal Football Club and the board members at that. Allowed the 70, sanctioned the 72 million pound signing of Pepe when you could have split that on two centre backs, yeah. two quality centre backs, and start there. We did not need Pepe. He's not adding value to this team at the moment. And maybe he could, maybe he could fire us to the top structures again. But there's, there's, no. there's, there's nothing happening with him. Like we, we not be better off with, with if we had to spend that money on signing. Um, Maybe this is, for example, Duffy and Dunk of, of Brighton. And then you, you you had Martinelli coming in in the wings. You had some youngsters that you can build with a bombing and Lacazette. But now we spend $72 million 
on a guy that's doing nothing when we need a defender. Yeah, because, look, and now you know for a fact, people like, say, look, I told you that like, weeks or months back even, my favorite defenders to bring in would be someone like that, Duncan and Duffy, or Connor Cody of Wolves, who's also a yes, you... no-nonsense type of defender. Or even that, like I said, like we also may also been mentioning that they talk with you as a right back who's, you know, his overlap play is good. And I mean, even his backtracking is just as good. That's how Wolves also doing quite decent with, you know, with that sort of combo. And then another thing I also wanted to add was, so there's another one of my talking points. The, for, like, my first thought of, of bringing a young coach, like, you know, your Atetas, your uh, Eddie Howes and stuff like that, I, I thought was, you know, the way to go. But now, you know, watching these games now with the interim coach who's, you know, look, Freddie's also busting his balls trying to get some sort of balance in his team again. Which, I mean, I also, I'll, in a way, I also put him. But I mean, but I think now, first and foremost, the club needs a hardline disciplinarian coach. And, uh, you know, to somehow just steady the shit because this thing has gone so far off course. I don't see a younger, it's almost like unnecessary pressure you're going to put on somebody young to, to almost like literally throw a younger coach into the deep end to, to fix the sort of mess. You, so, you know, I think, you know, like the way Chelsea did with Edink or uh, sometimes you maybe bring an Ancelotti in for half a season or uh, a Rafa Benitez even or something. Just something because I, I know many people are going to probably be scoffing or, or, you know, saying, yeah, what do you know? But sometimes you need an older head who can... You know, almost like I know that that sort of flaws that we have, that mega flaws that we have in defense, as well as the sort of attitude. Because I think it's also down to the attitude of the players. They are, they think they are worldies or whatever because they're being paid these huge, huge blo- these bloated salaries. But I mean, if you look at it, the way it's going now, it's actually mediocre players being paid big bucks. You know, you what you what you mentioned actually is hundred percent true. Look at Chelsea. You know, they went through two rats. I don't know if you can really call it. One was when they got Scolari as coach in 2008-2009. And then they sacked him and brought in Goose Heading for six months. And he made it clear he's only come for six months. What happens afterwards? They lined up Carlo and Gelati. They go and win the League Cup double. They roll back about maybe ten, I mean, I call it eight to nine years later. Jose Mourinho... Loses the testing room, gets sacked. They bring in Goose Hiddink again for six months. I think he kind of pulls them right. What happens? They bring in Antonio Conte and they win the league title the next season. So like you mentioned, it's actually really a pivotal point that you mentioned. You bring in somebody that actually, you know, steadies the ship, gets people's heads right and maybe pulls out all the weeds, you know, in the, in the garden. And whoever must go, must go. And you have a new coach lined up. Woody. You're already telling him, you know, this is your plans for the future and stuff like that. Or what's your plans? You get all the stuff lined up. So when the coach comes in, you have a foundation and he can just build from it. Yes, because um, like my thinking, in the, uh, there is nothing in that direction. These younger coaches, like look at Freddie and, and, and say Emery. They're willing to almost like bow down, bow down to the demands of the player. <laughs> And then you yes. have, say, something like Heading uh, Cancelotti or Benitez. They are going to come with that old school way, and you are not going to tell them whether you are someone that's earning 350k a week or someone that's earning 50k a week. You're not going to tell them what's what. They are going to tell you, and you're going to do it, or you can see yourself out of the game. That, that is, that's what Arsenal need. We, 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 like you mentioned perfectly, I think Emre's, he, he may, his, his tactics may work elsewhere or whatever, but with these bunch of guys, you need a guy that can grip him 
Like, you know, Ferguson would have pulled this team right because he, he's, he has a no-nonsense approach to things. And like you said, even Benitez, you know, a lot of people won't be a fan of Rafa Benitez. Me personally as well. You know, I don't think I would want him at the club, but maybe it's not about what we want right now, but what we actually need as Arsenal Football Club. You know, I don't know how many boots Ferguson would have thrown at the <laughs> <laughs> You probably just see every training session somebody with a blue eye, a black eye, or cut across the forehead or something like that. I mean, that's how bad it's gotten. I think that's how, at times, I think humor is also the only way you can actually get out of this rut. Because, I mean, it's... I mean, it's a bitter pull to swallow. I'm not kidding, because so most of you fans that listen also can, you know, feel and suffer the same way we do. But I mean, sometimes, as, as I said, humor could be the only outlet at times, especially when you watch some of our defending. Oh, it's, um, I'm sure if you stick the two of us at, in Arsenal centre-back, I, mean, I don't think it, the result could be any worse currently than what it is at the moment. Oh, my dodgy knees. <laughs> And my uh, asthma pump, I would probably need while playing in the game. So, you know, I think Arsenal needs to start from the back and move forward. I mean, they have Leno, who is a good shot stopper and trying his best for us. And I think Bellerin, like you've mentioned before, needs competition at right back. Yeah. So will Tierney. I don't know why Colosina should start the game after game. Then your centre-backs, if you can get to, like you said, English centre-backs, whether it's your Connor Cody's or it's your or your your um Duffy and Dunks, like you know, Premier League ready guys. Or like I mean Liverpool spent seventy five million on Van Dyke. Arsenal spent seventy two million on Pepe. You know, Arsenal spent thirty million on Shaka. Chelsea spent thirty million on Kante. Players are there, but we seem to be investing in the wrong player yeah. all the time. Aiden, you know what I was just thinking also sometimes when you when you sometimes are some unrealistic some Arsenal fans can also be when you ask them, okay, you can bring in the defender who you want to bring, then they're going to go, like, say, to that Koulibaly guy, or they're going to go to, you know, somebody that's, let's say, like, say, playing for, I'm not saying now exactly, but say playing for Juventus or Barcelona or something like that, which is, like, going to be really unrealistic. And then my take is just, you look at that guy, um, Godfrey of Norwich. That guy's 21 years old, and you look how he marshals that defense also, you know. Now, you see, this is where, I mean, you, we don't have to just look, say, outside of the UK for, for defensive uh, reinforcements. You can look, I mean, there, like, say, Norwich now, for one. Then you can look even at, at teams like, say, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, sorry, Sheffield, Sheffield United. And you can go even now, then, a level below. You go to the, the championship and you can look at which sort of players. Because, look, even if you buy players of the championship, you know you are taking a group of players or that have something to prove that will, you know, fight tooth and nail for a contract, whereas we got people that are almost like gifted these contracts, these big contracts. And I mean, you don't see that they, like, you know, really deserve it. Yeah, they're all luxury players at the moment, you know. They, they I gotta say that they're not fighting for what they, not saying they're not fighting for what they deserve, but they're not fighting in tooth and nail to get, you know, I want to win the starting lineup. It's just too comfortable, it's too friendly, it's too nice. Mm-hmm. It's like... A party, it's like a party they at every time. Yeah. There's, no, there's no repercussions for it, for anything. Because, man, look at how many failures Luisa's done in, in, in matches, so errors in it. And, and he gets he keeps on playing. Socrates gets changed once in a while, but, I mean, he's another one, Mr. Rugby Tackler, who keeps on, <laughs> you know, doing all this bizarre stuff. So, you know, my take is just, at the moment, the club looks seemingly, you know, broken. I mean, it's tough to say this. I mean, it, you know, cuts me up in a way, because... I don't want to even talk like that about the club, but 
let's face it, this club is broken because this is where Kroenke will have, you know, a big, big decision to make, like a stand now. Because, you know, his options are going to come down to the fact where he's going to either have to sell, because this project will be, you know, huge in today's market. If you think of, because everybody's going to also know, look, Arsenal are desperate for players. We can now jack up the price 10, 20 times, you know, the value. And then I'm, uh, the other option is also, you know, he stays, you know, see this through. But, you know, he brings in almost like a, a blank check for the new guy. Gives his full support. Because, look, there has to also be somebody that's going to come in and say, look, this is how we are going to rectify things. And, I mean, for me also, rectifying things means getting rid, not, not, not loaning, whatever, getting rid of people like your Socrates, your David Luiz, people like that, and, and Mustafi. And, and maybe see if you can start building. And then you have, say, Chambers and Holding coming through as, you know, let them now almost like kind of fight their way to get close to the first. But then you bring in a sort of, I would say, say someone like a 26 or 25-year-old centre-back who shows that, you know, he's in his prime in, in, in the defensive world now, who can now, you know, t- take people like, say, someone like Godfrey, or can take somebody, you know, those young sort of up-and-coming top defenders, and even Saliba, when he joins up, we this guy can almost like marshal them and guide them through the, a, a bit like, I wouldn't say, yeah, partly is yes, uh, the way um, company did with, with Man City, where he had almost like these, some of these young like uh, stones and them all around him, and he almost like, you know, guided them with him on this journey. So I think we need, you know, a, a real top centre back, uh, for me, especially somebody from maybe England, just because I think we need a hardened sort of uh, defender that knows how to ride it out. Not like, I mean, look, you had like uh, the Brighton game where, where uh, Socrates ended up losing the ball and goes down like a ballerina there, mm. like, just barely nudged with the shoulder and he was laying on the deck. So, uh, you know, yeah, bring a real tough batch of defenders. And I mean, somebody like Godfrey has already caught my eye, uh, that Duffy, Dunk, Cody, people like that, that, you know, going to fight tooth and nail for the club because for them, it's not just with a paycheck, it's down to football itself. And that is what we need, the real footballers. I think that's what's happening to the club at the moment. We don't have players that at Arsenal Football Club for the sake of us being at Arsenal Football mm-hmm. Club. It's, it's about, you know, where can I get my next paycheck? Like, you had guys, you know, roll back the years. Who you you come to Arsenal. Like, Sol Campbell, he came to Arsenal because he wanted to come to from Spurs because... You know, he saw something is there at the club. You had the Robert Perez, the Leungbergs, and also Arsenal just don't have mentors anymore. You know, you had Tony Adams come in. Sol Campbell was really fully fledged international, but you could you could learn from Adams. Adams faltered out. You had Colo Torre who could learn from Sol Campbell. But from there, then it just went all up in smoke yeah. almost. And I mean, the other point now also to bring up is, you know, the board. Because... I think that board also now, Krunke has also, you know, really stand up and have a look at the board because that also needs to be evaluated because it looks like Vinay and Raul talk a big game. But, you know, when you really need them, you know, to step up, they are falling seriously short because if you think the sort of power that, that Salnihi was given, and I mean, I know I was like vouching for him, but, but the more you see how he's ending letting that money flow out of the club, like on players and where some of these this deals are, or the signings are just not paying off because they're you know, kind of proving to be just mediocre signings with a big price tag. So, you know, maybe somebody old school, because 
I heard Raul Sani was also not happy that, that um, Sir Chips Keswick wanted to bring on David O'Leary to have like an ex-Arsenal member on the board, like an ex-player, I mean, on the board, which I think that is the direction we should start going also. Have some former players also in and around the club because you need that sort of input as well. Because, you know, that know about not only team dynamic, but the, the mentality or like the heart and soul of the club. And I think the people that we have, they don't know that. They're more accountants, businessmen than, you know, real football people. You know, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head with that. You, you need some people in the club that loves Arsenal. Yeah. You know, that, that, that just loves the club. Yes, sometimes they're going to make you more emotional decisions than these businessmen and accountants. But sometimes you just need that other side to it, that not the bottom line, kind of looking at just the profits and how that's going to be done. You need someone that's going to be like, you know, I want to see Arsenal in a final. I want to see Arsenal fighting for something. So... We need that bit of passion from, from outside. It's like David Leary, he loved the club. You know, you bring in Robert Perez, you bring in people who, who, who has Arsenal in their DNA, who can't, who can't stand losing a North London derby. It means something to them, the North London derby. So we don't really have that. It's all banter now for these clubs. And now we've almost become banter FC. Do you have any other talking points before we end off the podcast for the week? I just have one thing that I want to bring up. Do you think Wenger staying on too long at Arsenal has caused what we're in now? Yeah, it has. Because if you think of, of where the... Uh, as we always talk about, or my favourite line, the domino effect, and it, it goes down to that, because if he had quit in that period when, say, somebody like Klopp was ready to take over a club again, or... Pep was ready to take over club. I'm not saying they would have made now miracles, you know, with the club, but they would have probably taken part of his team dynamic or, you know, the way he thought of, of his brand of football, mix it with his probably, and we would have also had a total different setup in the way we play, the sort of recruitment as well. And I think that is also where the thing was, where the sort of players we were recruiting, he allowed people like Vieira to go, and then he, almost like he swapped all that sort of you know, robust, you know, that, 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 like, like I said, lion-hearted players. Do he, he swapped all that for short, creative midfielders or just creative or more technical players. So you don't have really, it's like every, all these creative players have their own train of thought, but you don't have that real leaders on the pitch. Because it's not like you can say, you know, look at Aubameyang to, to drag you through the fire or go to war for something like Ozil or stuff like that, you know? And that is my thing, but... Uh, you know, as I now just wrap up here now with the podcast, I also think we as Arsenal fans, I mean, listeners and, and you know, those that attend the games and stuff like that, or fans also worldwide, I think we also need to stick together as gooners. Because, you know, this looks like a storm that we're probably going to have to, you know, buckle up and ride out. And I mean, hopefully, you know, things get, I mean, look, things are getting so bad, but I mean, you do know at one point we're going to turn the corner and, you know, the things will look up again. So chin up, gooners. Come on. Hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Let's hope we finally get the three points. <laughs>